he actually was 18 years old, and he had fought the cancer for six years. The cancer came back three times, and had a lot of big surgeries. A lot of you know, his childhood was stolen, and uh, he ended up committing suicide. Is what happened. And um, I was working that day, and you know, I got the call to go to the watch commander's office. And when I went there, he wasn't there. I asked, I asked. Uh, one of the cops standing by, where's the watch commander? He said, he's at a dead 18-year-old's house over at this address. And that was my son's address. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler, and we're coming to you from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the NRB 2020. There's been a series of radio shows that I've been bringing you from the convention. We've been here all week long. This is a great opportunity because here in one place, I get to meet a lot of folks in just a few days. There's so much to see and do. I spend a lot of my time talking to people and sitting down and doing interviews for Mid-South Viewpoint program that airs in Memphis and also often on the Bot Radio Network work in other markets too and so it's great to be able to uh, bring you these various ministries that are like-minded and the stories behind that and so today I want to introduce you to Sergeant Mike McGrew. Mike has got a book called A Higher Call to Duty. First of all, Mike, welcome to Bot Radio. Welcome here Thank to you. the Thank you, Byron. It's good to be here. One of the highlights of the convention is having the Bot Breakfast, the Bot Radio Network host of breakfast. We had over 400 people this morning there. Yeah, it was wonderful. You were one of them. What was yeah. your impression? I thought it was great. It was very <laughs> informative, good speakers, and, and, and a good morning. So thanks for putting that on. We're always glad to do that and have so many come, and we give awards out to people we feel like need to be recognized. Sure. And uh, one special award I just want to mention on this program was the one in memory of Lois Evans, of course, the wife of Dr. Tony Evans of the Urban Alternative and Oak Cliff Church in uh, Dallas, Texas. Dr. Evans received that award in honor and memory of his wife this morning. His daughter Priscilla and his son Jonathan were there also. It was a special, special moment. Dr. Evans, I know, in his ministry has a real love for first responders. I think their church in Dallas has a ministry for first responders like yeah. other churches do too. You uh, took an oath to protect and serve, and so you served in what municipality? I was with the Santa Barbara Police Department. Are you from California originally? I am. I grew up there, and um, I, I spent a little time in college up uh, in San Luis Obispo for four years, and then came back down to Santa Barbara. So, okay, yeah, it was. It's a beautiful place, and oh. it's hard to leave there for <laughs> I can't sure. Imagine. Yeah. Well, before we get into your law enforcement career, what about growing up? What was family life like for you? Well, uh, I had a great ch- childhood. My uh, my dad was a firefighter, and uh, he rose to the rank of chief, and he retired as a chief, uh, fire chief. And uh, my uncles were all firefighters, and my grandfather was a L.A. City firefighter. So I come from a long line of first responders. Uh, there weren't many cops, and we had one cop, uh, a great uncle who was LAPD back in the way back when. But uh, I had a great childhood, and and uh, but I didn't know the Lord. And I wasn't raised to, to know the Lord, and uh, that didn't happen until about 20 years into my career as a as a cop. What was the encounter? I mean, what was it that convinced you that Jesus Christ was who he said he was? Well, you know, being a, a police officer uh, or a first responder, people wade through trauma, and that sticks. And for me, uh, for 20 years, uh, I didn't have a place to put my burdens. When I came on the department, about 34 years ago, the, the Vietnam veterans were the senior officers, and I think uh, Vietnam veterans paid the price with post-traumatic stress injuries. And the culture was, hey, you're getting a paycheck, it's a tough job, so just suck it up. 
and you know you do until you can't and uh, our profession has a very high suicide rate has a high divorce rate has a high uh, rate of alcoholism there's just a lot of things that happen to first responders uh, because they're going out serving others but uh, you're carrying the burdens of other people and for me um, it was about 20 years into my career where I had gone through two marriages lost my second marriage and uh, my youngest son was 12 years old, and he got diagnosed with bone cancer. And so they had to amputate uh, his leg. And we spent about 200 days a year in the hospital uh, for the treatments. And he almost died about half a dozen times just from the treatments. And then um, my older son, uh, at the same time, uh, got involved in drugs and got a, a very bad drug addiction. And so um, I had fights on every front of my life. And... I was in a place where, you know, I, I was the guy that was going out and fixing other people's problems, but on the inside, I was, wow. I was, you know, just falling apart, and so I was in a pretty bad place. And then I met my current wife, and she, our very first date was uh, at a Chris Tomlin concert. She took me to one, and I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> the pastor was uh, Louis Giglio was traveling with them, and and he came out and he spoke that night. And I was sitting in a crowd at the Santa Barbara County Bowl of about 5,000 people. And uh, he began to speak, and he started to go down the checklist. You know, he said, is there anybody out there who? And, and uh, it just, this guy knew my story. <laughs> and I, but it was so supernatural to me. I was just listening to him and thinking, how does this guy know my story? You know, because I, I was in a dark place. And I was looking around the crowd, and, and that stuck with me that night. So the next morning... Uh, I, I called my cousin, and uh, he works at the police department. He was a, um, a lieutenant, just retired. And his side of the family, they grew up knowing the Lord, so it was a little different for him. Hmm. And he had been praying for me for a long time. And through all these traumas that I was going through and all the trials. And, uh, you know, so I, I said, Dan, would you tell me about Jesus? And he just smiled and he said yeah i've been waiting for this day you know i've been praying for this so it was an answered prayer for him you know <laughs> and um that day i gave my life to christ and you know the mustard seed was there that 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 faith the size of a mustard seed bone. did you know something was different from that moment well i knew that um i knew that i i had yeah that things would be different i just i i did yeah and it wasn't instant, um, but there was more peace, and and then a fire started, and I couldn't get enough of the Lord. I mean, I just could not get enough of the Bible. I could not get enough of uh, being around uh, believers and Bible studies, and and every day I'd pray for more faith because that was my first prayer. Lord, let me have more more faith, and He did. He just started pouring that gift out on me, and it changed my life. A transformation happened. And now I had a place where I could take my burdens and I could set them down. Mike, you talk about the trauma and the stress of first responders knowing that you see things that most civilians don't see. You experience things that most civilians don't experience, at least on a daily basis, and multiply it over and over again through the months and the years, as you say. And you can definitely become hardened and trying to find a way to cope. And, and, and obviously your, your life was crumbling. There was chaos in your life with the marriage breakdowns and you had all these other issues you were dealing with yeah. and 
needing to be able to debrief. I remember back in the mid-90s, we lived on the island of Guam. We were missionaries serving with a radio organization, Transworld Radio. There was a, a Korean airline crash, Flight 801, and out of 254 passengers, pretty much the entire crew and passengers perished on Nimitz Hill, where the plane basically split in half after it landing gear into the uh, pipeline on top of Nimitz Hill. So uh, our team volunteered with Salvation Army and trying to provide recovery workers some place of refuge so they could get out of the hot sun and find a cold drink of water. And we were also suggesting that we could provide some debriefing time, a time where these men and women, knowing the the atrocities and the gruesome things they were seeing, could come and and have a place to talk. I remember the Air Force commander that was part of this one group, and he said, oh, they don't need that. They just need a six-pack of beer and put them to bed, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think so many in society get caught into that, which addictions take place, and and first responders can be caught into that, too, you know, where they're depending on drugs just to get you through another day. Yeah, and that's uh, that was the culture for a while, you know? I, I know that as the Afghan war and the Iraq war, uh, you know, as we started to get veterans from there, because a lot of veterans come to the police department, you know, and they started to talk about post-traumatic stress. So the conversation was happening. I, I think the military started to, you know, they're, they're leading into that now. They're, they're, they're diving into that because of, you know, the amount of suicides that are happening with veterans. And, and um, law enforcement was always behind them. Uh, I think we're we're still trying to catch up with them, and I don't think any of us are where we need to be with all that. But, but yeah, it's when you talk about debriefs, debriefs are important. You know, to be able to sit down and and um, and be with the folks that you responded to a major incident. I mean, with. they're, they're yeah. saying that even as little as ten minutes of debrief time after experiencing a traumatic thing, such as death or whatever you might have experienced can save a lifetime of psychological problems it does it does and it's very uh, you know <laughs> how we overlooked that how well you know i think a lot of people say hey i'm okay i don't need to go you know and, and right now a lot of the debriefs are voluntary so they'll say hey we have a voluntary debrief like i said the culture is it's shifting so not everybody goes to those things they go oh i've been doing this i can handle this and and really you can't you know i, I worked homicide and major crimes for half of my career and so i did robberies homicides child molests rapes you know shooting stabbings gang stuff and th- that was my job that was my life for for half my career and i know that you know you think you're getting hardened to it all but you're not you know you come home and when you're dealing with a rape victim or you know a child molest or you know somebody's loved one that's just been murdered that tears a chunk out of your heart you know and you'll never get it back and it changes you forever you can't disengage that can you it's not like having a hard day as a computer operator and i'm not trying to minimize somebody who's a computer operator but they've worked and had a stressful day come home and can turn that off and engage their family for the evening you can't turn experiences like that off no you can't and and what happens is that uh, an isolation begins to happen it's very common with law enforcement that you know you come home and you know I, i remember one day i was and a standoff with a guy with a rifle. I was on the wrong end of that rifle. And, um, you know, I had a couple of really bad dead body calls. And, I mean, it was just a horrible day, you know. And I came home and my wife was, she was upset because she got you know, plastic instead of paper at the grocery store, you know. So it's just, yeah. <laughs> you just enter a whole new world, you know. And I'm just going, wow. And and so you just, 
it tends to make you just shut down because you don't want to share that with your family. I mean, some of the things we see, I couldn't, I wouldn't want to repeat to anybody else because I knew when I was doing that job, I was only doing it because my I didn't want my neighbor to have to do that job, and it's trauma. You know, it's a brain injury that happens because that's you know they they found that trauma uh, is a brain injury and it can be treated. Yes. So you know to offer up the program that we have, what what happened was before we go there, I kind of want to talk about the transition from the time you left law enforcement to begin the work that you do now, and which ultimately caused you to write a book called A Higher Call to Duty. Well, the book came out of a, I gave my testimony at a community prayer breakfast in Santa Barbara, and there was a lot of people there, much like the breakfast you guys threw (laughs) today. And uh, uh, there was a group of people that came up and said, hey, you need to write a book, and, you know, your testimony can really help a lot more people. And at the time, I said, no, I don't don't think I need to write a book. So I prayed about it, and then, you know, the Lord spoke to me, and I, I agreed to do it. Every time I sat down, there was a lady that helped me write it. Every time we sat down, we just prayed about the book being able to touch other people and help them and just the powers of our testimonies. And my testimony is no more powerful than anybody else's, but I have been through a lot. You know, um, my youngest son did die. Um, Sorry. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I've had a child with a drug addiction. I've gone through all these things. And so it's written from a first responder point of view, being a cop, but it also speaks to people uh, to civilians and anybody else about just getting getting through uh, trials and trials. So how do you engage those first responders and those who are experiencing the trauma we're talking about? I mean, what's the first step for your ministry, the work that you do to try to reach them and try to help them process through that trauma? Well, first off, we have a confidential helpline. It's a helpline that is not connected to the cities or the counties. It's not connected there to their employer, so they can reach out. And confidentially, uh, they're matched up with a, a trauma-trained clinician. So that, that number is available to anybody listening to our show right now. Could call or, that number? Uh, well, we're expanding it right now. So it's in the Santa Barbara area, okay. and we are expanding it to be Addie's International because there's a, there's a big demand. Yeah. And, and uh, just in our area, last this past year, we served over 600 first responders just in the Santa Barbara area. So the program's that's just working. one area. Yeah, that's just <laughs> one area. And, and you know, and it's, it's a neat program because people, you know, the resources are, are there. God provides, you know, and, and through the love of, and generosity of other people, you know, we've been able to raise the money to keep this program going. So, so it's, it's been interesting, and, and uh, a lot of agencies will come to us and, and say, hey, we'd like to be a part of this. And our motto is, sure, we're, we're going to help you. And every time we do, we step out, you know, yeah. it's, we get blessed. Mike, what have you learned in the process of God helping you through the trauma that you have experienced over some 30 years of being in law enforcement, having to bury your youngest son, and then experiencing a child being addicted to drugs, which is a, is a heartbreak? Many people listening to our show right now, I know, are, are walking that journey where their child, maybe their child's an adult now, they've been praying for years, and they're stuck in crazy addictions, you know, and sure. the trauma of all that. Talk about the process of how you sense that God showed up in your life and helped you deal with these things and the other vices from the past were really of no help. Well, the past vices were, that was just filling a, a void that you could never fill. It, it was just a dark hole. And, and once I received God into my heart, um, you know, there was hope. And, and hope is very powerful, especially in dark situations. 
But there's also God. Also, he, he's I, I watched him my whole life, even before I was a believer. God was present, you know, and that's His promise to us: is that he, He's always going to be with us, no matter what. He is with us. Um, and when my youngest son died, uh, he actually was 18 years old, and he had fought the cancer for six years. The cancer came back three times, and he had a lot of big surgeries. A lot of you know, his childhood was stolen. And, uh, he ended up committing suicide is what happened. And um, I was working that day, and, you know, I got the call to go to the watch commander's office. And when I went there, he wasn't there. I asked I asked uh, one of the cops standing by, where's the watch commander? He said, he's at a dead 18-year-old's house over at this address. And it was my son's address, you know. So so when I went there, there was a, a sea of blue. There was just cops lined up, you know. They were there for me. None of them had a word for me, you know, that you can't. In that kind of situation, it's hard to say anything. Wow. But that presence, that that ministry of presence was there, and you had, I needed that. And you had walked, I mean, I can't think about over 30-year career, how many times you'd walked in a suicide home for investigation mm-hmm. and doing your job. Mm-hmm. What was the difference in walking in and seeing your own son? It was horrible. And, yeah, he was laying there on the ground. He, he had overdosed on his pain meds and wrote us a note. Yeah, it just tore, tore me apart, you know. But I also had to be the strength in that situation, you know, for other family members. And so it's a very tough spot to be when you're the father of losing a child because you, you're the pillar for everybody else. And I tell you what, I could not do it unless I had the strength of the Lord yeah. because I just hung on to God so much. And God, you know, it was, it was important to me to know that my son was with the Lord. And, um, and God showed me that supernaturally. He, he affirmed that my son is there. And, and, and I knew that, you know, he was, in, he was with the Lord, and I was going to see him again. But, you know, it was still a very difficult time. But God allowed me to uh, walk through that. He gave me that comfort, you know, that it talks about in um, Second, uh, Second Corinthians. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, to comfort others. And so it was very powerful. Um, I realized quickly when I went back to work, I had to take about a month off. I, I told God, I, I said, I don't want to go to another dead child call. I don't want to go tell a family member that they lost somebody. But those were all the calls that I had. And I quickly realized that God was using me in a very powerful way with those families because now when I was standing on that doorstep, you know, I was a father who had just lost a son and my heart was broken wide open so they could see right into it. And and they'd ask me, well, how, how are you still, how, how do you survive this? And I said, because of God, you know, I, that's the only way I could survive it. And I've known other parents that have lost children that, that don't know the Lord. You know, I sat in a group um, of parents, and, you know, some that didn't know the Lord, they, they were just in a very dark place, you know. But God at least gave me that, that hope. He gave me strength. And it took about seven years before the joy came back, you know. I, I think that was part of the mourning process. But, but it did return. You know, the joy did, did return. And God still uses that, that journey. And with my, my older son and the drug addiction... That was a place where, you know, there's codependency that happens um, in a family that has uh, an alcoholic or a drug-addicted person. And after my uh, youngest son died, I, I remember, you know, just going on these roller coaster rides with my older older son when things were good and he was sober, everything was great. But when I was using, you know, I was in a, in a really bad place. And I and I stopped, um, and he was he was in a bad place. He was living on the streets, and I I stopped. Uh, I was driving my motorcycle. Uh, I was a motor cop for a while, 
And I stopped it in this one area in Santa Barbara, and I was looking at the sunset. We get beautiful sunsets there. And I knew that I had to give my son up to the Lord. You know, so I sat there and I said, you know, God, I know, I know the pain of losing a son, but I trust you with my older son. I just trust you with him. So I release him to you. I know he's your child and you love him more. It didn't take away my love for my son. And I still right. loved him. Sure. But I needed to have that step into trusting God with that situation. And about three days later, um, I saw my son on the streets and uh, he didn't look good. And he asked me, he said, hey, um, Dad, can I you know, stay with you tonight or you know, can you feed me? And you know, I just looked at him and, and I, I said, you know, son, I, I can't do that because if I do, you're not going to do what the, what the Lord wants you to do. You know, I, I can't be that person. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, you're right. And so as hard as it was, you know, I wrote off. And three days later, he ended up getting himself into a rehab program. So that was the first time that ever happened. Usually it was me trying to get him into one. And you yeah. know. and I stepped out of the way of what the Lord was doing with my son, you know. And it, and it gave me this just even more um, strength wow. and trust in the Lord, you know. I mean, yeah. when we trust the Lord, it's like we, we get to know who he is, you know. And, and to trust him with your, your most prized it's tough, yeah, isn't it? with your child, it, it, it was really tough. Yeah. But I did it, and I and I'll tell you what, the blessing started to happen. And today's sober, and praise God, her, yeah, praise God. <laughs> but but you know, I think well, sometimes it, we try to fix things, I'm, and I'm we're so just standing glad, in the way. I'm so glad, uh, Mike, that you brought that up because I think there are parents and that they want to fix everything for their kids, you know. And you've got to let go and let God, yeah, because. They're in a process living their own life, making choices, and there's consequences to choices we make. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we as parents want to step in and cover those up, you know, and try to make right. And that is oftentimes causing our child to go further and further away from what God wants to do in their life. Yeah, we we become part of that problem, part of that addiction, you yeah. know, and it's okay to step back and you'll still love them as much as much. Oh, it doesn't change your love. Oh my goodness. Matter of fact, it's really hurting love because you, you love them so much. It's love that hurts, but it's love that is the right kind of love. You know, even the scripture talks about the love of God as we are as children. He disciplines us. He disciplines his children. No discipline seems right at the time what the scripture says, but we know that we are legitimately his children because he disciplines us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the book, A Higher Call to Duty, got a few minutes here before we wrap up our sure. program here. Uh, this basically is your story. Yeah, it's my story as as, uh, as a cop, you know, working 31 years. You retired from the police department. I did yeah. three years ago, yeah. and and then I went into the Addies program, and so that's what I've been doing, that, that ministry, and I also pastor a church, but I got busier once I retired. <laughs> I got a lot busier. So you're pastoring so, also now. Yeah, yeah, I do that as well. So tell me about your fellowship. Uh, we have a small church in Santa Barbara, and um, it's been a great experience. I have a couple other guys that help me teach on, on Sundays, and I have a prayer ministry, so uh, that that keeps me busy as well. But I pray a, a lot through the Ed program. We run right alongside of it. Remind us what it is, the program itself, and how we yeah. can learn about that program. Well, you can go to at support dot com, and we have a website there. Uh, I have a website. It's Sergeant Mike McGrew, so it's S G T Mike McGrew M C G R E E W dot com. That's got more information about me, and and the book's available on Amazon as well. 
So right now you're available to speak. And do you have time that you do one-on-one counseling with first responders? I do, yeah. Um, you know, I've been uh, reaching out, and as we're expanding the program, I've been traveling a lot, <laughs> talking about it. But it's been a great experience when I'm at home. Yeah, I do a lot of one-on-one with people. So it's, it's neat. I, I get to do the best of all these things. What's the first thing, Mike, that someone in that type of trauma we were talking about, what's the first step they have to come to in the beginning of their healing process? Well, everybody's a little different, um, but I know that God gave us heavenly weapons to pull down strongholds. Those weapons are usually forgiveness. So in a traumatic situation, a lot of times we'll go back to that area and ask God to show, hey, where's some unforgiveness uh, in a person's heart? And when we forgive and we choose to forgive, man, it's powerful. It releases the enemy's hold on that situation and brings a lot of light to the situation. So that's one of the big things that we do. You know, I, I had to go through that myself. There, the Lord showed me there. Uh, I worked over 120 homicides, but there was three that I didn't forgive because they were so bad. And I was hanging on to that. And one day God just showed me that. <laughs> I didn't even know that. But he says, these three. And he was right. <laughs> he knows our yeah, heart, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, okay, Lord, and, you know, because I did not want to forgive those guys, you know. But I did. And, and that type of work, you, you'd really see the total depravity, how human life can treat another human life in such yeah. a, a horrible way. Yeah, it's evil. You see evil. You're yeah. on the front lines and you see it. You literally see it, too. Sergeant Mike McGrew, the unimaginable true life story here in a book called A Higher Call to Duty. This is available right now. And so if our listeners want to get a copy of this book, what's the best way to do that? I can go to Amazon. It's on uh, Amazon or, or you can go to the website at SergeantMikeMcGrew.com. Now on the other website, it is website you right. gave. Now I know that's being developed more. So the helpline right now is kind of secluded to the Santa Barbara area. It is. But if people want to, if they're interested in starting one up in their, in their area, you know, contact us. You could help them? Yeah. And then, yeah, we're reaching out to help other uh, people start up other chapters. And this would be a great thing for a church to get involved with, right? Yeah, it's awesome. This is great. Well, God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom and the ministry of first responders. Thanks, too, for your service for so many years and what you did for the people of Santa Barbara. Thank you so much, Mike, for being our guest. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Again, coming to you from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention 2020. It's been my pleasure to be here. Some great guests to bring to you back on Mid-South Viewpoint. That's all the time we have right now. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.